Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Space Game Junkie Podcast. I, as always, am your co-host, Brian. And joining me, as always, is your co-host, Jim. From the roaring 90s. <laughs> were they roaring? Or were they kind of thudding? There's going to be some roaring in a minute here. Hold oh, on. boy. Okay. Uh, also joining us is your co-host, Hunter. You know, sometimes games can give you Tourette's. Ooh. And I think... Ooh. Ooh. I think this might be one of them, but I'll t- I'll explain why. And this it's is not gonna necessarily be, bad. This it's is not necessarily bad. It's gonna be a spicy we'll, podcast. I mean, I mean, maybe it's bad. <laughs> it, no. It's not necessarily bad, but we'll get into it. It's like moderate cancer. It's and, not bad. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! Your co-host Spaz. <laughs> I need to put some desperately gonna, seeking space. If this is going to be brutal, like I think it is. I feel like I need to get some salve uh, so I can. Yeah, you. Some I think I. I yeah, you basically, I think you want a big bucket of ice water to uh, to to put your put whatever in for all the burns you're about to get. Um, mm, all right. So, but friends, buckle up, boys. We're going in dry. <laughs> we well, have a no, couple it's, of. It's just, uh, they they made it faithful to the original, so I don't I don't have a beef with what they did. Uh, I, just, sir, I want to talk <laughs> to the original designer. The original was actually more difficult. Uh, Oh, my God. I can't even imagine. Um, so joining us uh, first from mild stomping grounds in Havertown, Pennsylvania. Oh, my God. It's a fucking stone's throw from where I used to live. Jeremy Stanton. And joining us from, oh, my God, I, I wrote it down wrong. Chi- Cheyenne. I wrote Cayenne, like pepper. Cayenne. Uh, Cheyenne, Wyoming. What? I didn't hear that. I said he's, uh, I said he's spicy. Oh, it's a spicy podcast. Uh, just a just a guy known as Rob. Uh, that's all we got is Rob. Hey, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's all we know. Um, <laughs> Rob, we no last name. My uh, name is to the show. People know me <laughs> as Tim. Anyway, well, it uh, sounds if he says the whole thing, it sounds it's so it's so ostentatious. Robert Morgan the Third. Oh, really? You got to wow. get an Esquire on there somehow. Lord of Duncan, totally fake name. Lord of Dungeon Donuts. I don't know Donut if I Shire. want you to live. I don't know if you want me to know where I live after this game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, friends, if you're unaware, Iron Seed is a game that came out in I re- originally what 1994, I believe. Um, three, ninety-three. Oh, it was four? three. It was, it was four. four. Yeah, I thought it was four. Uh, by what I, was it called? Channel Seven, I think, was the original company that made it. Yeah. yeah. And. I myself found out about it in the mid aughts. I'd never heard of it. I don't even know. Was it available in America? Because I don't remember. Okay, so, 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 so funny. So funny thing. Um, Soft Disk released it. Um, like it was definitely available in the United States, but for whatever reason, I'm not entirely sure how they distributed it. But we ended up getting a huge following in Eastern Europe and Russia. Like we would get fan mail. We got fan mail for years where they were like, I love, I love Iron Seed. It's it's so good. It gave game his favorite game. Did not pay. Did not pay. Hacking, hacking CD, but love game, love game. And uh, and uh and, and we've definitely we're definitely not uh blind to the fact that it was a little uh impenetrable. Um and I gotta think the Russians sort of like love of self-abuse. Like well, they like diffi- they like difficulty. Oh, so if when you never played a, Siber- a Russian space game, yeah, basically. Well, when you're a Siberian reindeer farmer and you you have like nothing <laughs> but angst, it's kind of like a. 
um, so, to explain, though, to answer your question, um, Softest Publishing were the ones that it got their start from. So they were mm. actually moonlighting, working on Catacombs 3D and uh, Commander Keen. And uh, they it eventually broke off and left. And uh, that's actually how we ended up getting the, the Raven engine. So that's a whole other story for a different game that we worked on. But uh, Softdisk mainly did this uh, e-magazine thing. They would send out little fun games on Commodore 64 floppy disks. <laughs> and people paid subscriptions for this stuff. We were one of the few games that they actually sold through uh, mail order. Um, huh. The uh, Steam site has one of the original flyers for the game on the art page. Because hmm. I'm, I'm a gaming addict, I'm going to admit it. And I spent a lot of time perusing magazines. I would go to EB and Babbage's all the time. I never saw this thing anywhere. I didn't see it in magazines. I didn't see it in stores. I completely missed it somehow. And this is my jam. This this game is my freaking jam. And I, if I had known about it in the 90s, I would have played the ever-loving frack out of it. But I never knew about it. And when I finally found out about it in the mid-aughts, it was impossible to find. You couldn't find a copy anywhere. I couldn't find a physical copy. I couldn't find a digital copy. I looked, I looked, I've been, I've been looking for years. So, uh, so the fact that you guys finally brought this out to the mainstream makes me just tickles me, but I would love to hear the story about how you guys got involved in iron seed. Uh, and then I would love to hear about how you brought this 25th anniversary, uh, edition about, uh, if you wouldn't mind sharing those stories. Sure. Um, you want me to start? Rob, or do you want to go first? Go ahead. I'll talk about the new one. You can talk about the the start of the old one. Yeah. So um, the the original idea I got when I was uh, uh, bagging groceries uh, at Kroger's um, before I started college, um, and <clears throat> I I get a little crazy when it comes to world building. Um, so I just I, I kept adding and adding to this idea that I had. <clears throat> and so when I finally met Rob, I guess it was at my soft, was it my sophomore year of college, our sophomore year that we really yeah, was sophomore. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I had drawn the logo with no way of making the game because I wasn't really, um, I wasn't a CS major. So I wasn't really writing code other than like obliquely for um, some of the engineering courses that we had. <clears throat> and so um, I kept talking. I was basically talking my friend Chris Cash's ear off, um, whose nickname, as it turns out, is Crispy Cash. His middle name is literally starts with a P. So Crispy um, introduced me. Yeah, uh, introduced me to Rob, and he was like, "This guy is is like a hermit. All he does is write game, like write code all the time. Like you should, you guys should totally be friends, and you need to stop bugging me with all these stupid ideas because I'm not going to write your game for you." Um, and so uh, Rob and I got together uh, that year. And really, we're just noodling around like we weren't really I don't think there was in the beginning, there was no real intention of making a game. We just had a few like concepts uh, that we were playing around with. <clears throat> and so I'm not entirely sure what the inflection point was, but there was some point at which we kind of sat back after, you know, the third or fourth 12 hour day in a row where we were just fooling around um, 
and sat back and said, this is, this is a game. Like we're, this is the thing. Like we need to finish this now. Um, and that's kind of what the point at which it started getting a lot more serious and wasn't just us fooling around. But I mean, e- even at the end of it, it was still primarily just me and him in his parents, con- uh, you know, townhouse, um, you know, working ridiculous hours to finish this thing. Hmm. Yeah, we, we really didn't know what we were doing in the beginning. Um, everything I was doing was self-taught. So, so much of the game is, I don't know, reinventing the wheel because I didn't have anyone to talk to. I didn't have anyone to ask questions about. So I, we didn't even have a decent graphics editor. I had to write our own graphics editor that we called Finger Paint Pro. So a little showware program, but we were doing pixel level editing and yeah, literally um, like placing one pixel at a yes, time was how yes. it was. God. Yeah. But this was back before a lot of the, the editors existed. I mean, doing graphics in general um, was just difficult at the time. And we were too broke to pay for uh, uh, Photoshop. I think <laughs> yeah. Photoshop existed at the time, but it was like, you know, like there was a week, <clears throat> I remember there was a week, um, once we really got going, uh, over, over Christmas break that I didn't eat because I was like, I can get a pat job working for IBM or NASA, or I can make games. I'm going to make games. Wow. So yeah, what, they, what kind of system did you guys code the original on? It was written on a 286, um, <laughs> or a 386. Um, okay, so it was PC. I didn't know if it was like a Commodore port or what. No, um, the music is the same format as the Amiga mod files, oh, which is kind of cool. But yeah, it was all PC. Um, the, the original. The, 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 go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say the original code was in Turbo Pascal five. Oh wow! With some assembly language. Yeah, there. some of it was was assembly language, and and uh, most of it was thirty three thousand lines of Pascal. You're, you're making me miss Pascal. That was back when, <laughs> when code was sane and we didn't have this object-oriented trash. Yeah, there's no object-orientedness in this. <laughs> the original, that is. I mean, we were trying to pack this thing under the, the 640K limit. I mean, we were running into to problems all the time with that. So that was that was interesting. We were also running into a lot of CPU bottlenecks just to play the music probably 20% of the CPUs devoted to the music decryption and, you know, mixing. Well, that, so that, that deserves its own little footnote here uh, in this story. So um, one thing that Rod and I, uh, Rod, that Rob and I were convinced of uh, was we were like, look, uh, if you strip the music out of Star Wars, let's be honest, like that movie is not very good without the music, but somehow, somehow magically with that music, it, it transcends itself. Like it becomes this amazing thing. Because it, it's an amazing piece of art, but without the music, it's really not very good. Um, and so we thought, okay, uh, we know that because of our sense, like our our sort of like design sensibilities, we're making something that's fun for us. It's going to be really difficult to get into, uh, but what we can do is we can try to find the absolute best music uh, to make this to, to 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 make this a different kind of experience. And so we originally reached out to Purple Motion. Um, so so we, we, we drew inspiration from the mod scene um, because it was so much. And when I say mod, I don't mean like game mods. I mean, like way back in the day, there was this um, uh, demo scene 
where they would, uh, since you didn't have graphics cards, you guys probably remember this, they would create these weird little, mostly in assembly language written programs to just max out like graphically and sound wise, everything you get out of these crap computers, because everything at that time was really compared to what we have now. Crap. Yeah. Have, um, you, like, have you continued some, to follow some, the demo scene? I was about to say, there's, some, not there's some, no. still some stuff out there. Yeah. Oh yeah. If you, if you go look, cause they have a, I think it's in Germany every year. They have like a big demo convention and oh, the wow. stuff that I saw last year was just mind blowing. I mean, they, they had, Ooh. What was it like in 80K? They had like a universe generator and it it made like stuff that was like living wallpaper that that was super cinematic. And I'm like, you did what in 80K? That's that's amazing. So so we saw we saw stuff like that and we were like, even if we could just have like a tiny grain of that and sprinkle that on this, it would be amazing. Um, And so the the premier. uh, demo music guy at the time was this guy, uh, Purple Motion <clears throat> in Scandinavia, I think. Um, and so we reached out to him and we were like, this is, this is like, uh, this is, there's probably no way we can get your, you know, your attention on this, but you've already created a whole bunch of tracks. Like, would you be interested in us licensing maybe some, some of your music for our game? And he was like, um, uh, you know, no, my stuff's tied up in licensing, blah, blah, blah. Or like, I'm not interested. What? He, but he, but he was very nice about it. He was like, there's, there's some guys on the East coast that probably aren't that far from you, um, that you should reach out to. Um, there's this one guy in particular, uh, Andy Sega, uh, he goes by Necros in the scene. You should reach out to him. He might be able to help you out. And so we emailed him and he was the same age we were like, you know, it's not nose kid, freshman in college or sophomore at this point in college. Um, mm. and so when we reached out to him, we're like from one poor person to another, like, what would it take to license? You've already written all these tracks. We're not even asking you to write new tracks. We'll just license 10 tracks that you've just, they're just lying on the shelf. Would you be cool with that? Um, and we'll, you know, TBD, what we'll pay you for it. But would something like that work? And he was like, sure, absolutely. Yes. Um, and so uh, that happened. That was a huge coup. Andy went on to um, uh, write a bunch of the music for the original Unreal. Oh, um, Wow. So if you're wondering why the music in this game is so good, it's because we had that guy. It was it's, like the the, it's the Williams of his of his time, right? <laughs> like he was one of the most amazing uh, musicians, and he, and remains, you know, an incredible musician. But for the time, like it was not, like nobody was doing the kind of stuff that uh, that him and Purple Motion and maybe like two other people on the planet were doing with trackers. So we got we got him on board, but we needed the mixing software and. Um, and in a format we could use, right? So there was like, I think the, the Pro Tracker or whatever it was that was out at the time, um, I think it was maybe in a different language. There was some reason why we couldn't use whatever was just out there. Might've been a licensing reason, but we found a dude, again, very similar situation to us, college kid um, in Chile, I believe it was. Right, Rob? Uh, yeah. I think it was and, called uh, Otto Kranz was his name. Yeah. The, yeah. D- the but, DMP player. Yeah, so we we reached out to him and we were like, "Hey, um, your mixer is amazing. Um, there's like there's nothing else like it. Can we, you know, from one broke college student to another, can we license this from you?" And he was like, "Yeah, sure. Um, I've put a a mountain of time into this thing, though. So like, can you afford a five hundred dollar license?" And we're like, "Yes. Like whatever it's you know whatever it takes to get this, as long as it's reasonable." And uh, we exchanged emails. I don't even know how we paid him. Did we send him a check to Chile? It was, 
we got him paid somehow. I don't remember how, but we got him paid. Um, and so now we're sitting on this license, you know, perpetual use um, for whatever titles we had. And um, so, so now we've got some of the best music in the world. Um, one of the best music trackers in the world. And it allowed us to have, if you had the, um, what was the name of that graphics card, Rob? The Gravis. The, the gra- Gravis. The, gra- the Gravis if you had a Gravis, Yeah. If you had one, it would mix oh, it uh, right. to uh, CD. It was CD quality. It would mix it at CD quality. And we had over an hour of CD quality music that fit on two floppy disks. It, it was five meg for the, for the audio <laughs> Un- uncompressed. And everything yeah. else was, was procedurally generated except for the, um, uh, the dial, uh, the log entries and the aliens. So that was another thing that we were really, that we kind of geeked out on was planet generation. Like everything in the game was, uh, procedurally generated in, in that way. Like all the stats, the planets, um, even the names of them too, I think, um, uh, just, just like, we were like, how much can we like mash this down and make this entire thing build itself? Um, and so, you know, it might not have been the best game in terms of gameplay, but there were so many little elements like that to it that, you know, to this day, I'm, I'm incredibly proud of what we created, even though it's, you know, bizarre and sometimes impossible to play. (laughs) Um, oh, so to finish that story, the punchline to that is that, um, it might've been after, right after we released it, uh, we got a cease and desist letter from Epic Mega Games. What? And they said, and they said, uh, we have a license. We have the global use license from Autocrons, and you have to immediately stop uh, distributing your game, and you owe us fifty thousand dollars. Oh, we kind of yeah. peed our pants. <clears throat> yeah. So we're like, oh my god, we got to find this license from Autocrons, or we're effed. And this was before any kind of like regular backup of emails, like we had to find like a computer hard drive that was at the bottom of a closet. Um, Cause at this point it had been like two or three years since we first talked to, uh, to Otto. Um, and we didn't know if we had the email anywhere. Uh, so we thought our lives were over, um, <laughs> but thank God we found it. Um, not, you know, like we're like 19, 20, 21, whatever <clears throat> really didn't know if, if having the email was going to, was, was going to dig us out of this hole. Um, sent it nicely worded letter, like, you know, please don't kill us. Uh, but we have, we have a pre, we have a pre-existing license with the original author. Um, it's, you know, in perpetuity, um, 500 bucks. See, um, we we had a similar issue with EA too, with, uh, one of the tracks, uh, the Dimensio track, Mm, I believe mm. it was being used by fallout or one of those games. Fallout resistance. I think it was, it was an isometric game. Um, they reached, yeah, they were like, you can't use this track cause it's in our game. And we're like, it was released in our game first and we have the <laughs> license to it. So back off. Wow. If you'd have waited until now to sue them, then you'd, you'd say, okay, well, I'll do it for 1% of your company. <laughs> yeah. So well, there was a little confusion oh. about the final track list. So <laughs> it's, it's somewhat understandable. So what happened when the game was finally released? Because like I said, I didn't I sadly didn't see it anywhere. So what happened? We we actually did reasonably well. Um I still can't believe how many copies we sold. Wow. We we got ten percent, which which uh so ten percent of the profit, which in retrospect we got robbed. Um but uh we made thirty grand. I mean the game netted or not netted, but uh total revenue was like 
over a quarter of a million dollars. Wow. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I'm as still... weird as it is, people, people, people liked it. It, I think because there were fewer games and fewer gamers, we had a higher tolerance for the weird back then. Yeah, we didn't have, we sure didn't have, did. We didn't have as many games to play, you know, so we, we played what we had. We played what y'all gave us. <laughs> Whether it was... There's a, plus, there was I don't think, plus, I don't think there was anything quite like what we were putting out there because we weren't trying to be a, a standard 4X game. We weren't really trying to be an RPG we were just like, we've got some ideas. We're going to put them together. See what happens. Um, yeah. Yeah. This, this definitely goes more. That. This definitely mo- goes more into the Starflight vein of space adventure slash exploration. Uh, I yeah, think. I was going to say, there's that, there's, that, there's that funny meme that's out there that that's like, uh, I thought you said this game was easy. And it's just like, well, yeah, I was raised on Mega Man. So, I mean. <laughs> So, so, uh, so the game did sell well, which I'm very happy to hear. I, I, I'm again, I'm just shocked that I never found out about it. I'm sad. I'm, I'm very sad that I never found out about it back in the day. I would have again played the heck out of this. So fast forward to basically this decade. When did you guys decide to make a 25th anniversary edition? How'd that come about? <laughs> this is like the third time we've tried to remake this thing <laughs> with various engines and and attempts and this was the first one that made it the furthest um i i had been working at a little startup company trying to do some mobile games on unity so i was like yeah i'll try using unity and see if i can't make some kind of iron seed like thing out of this thing so that's that's basically how i got started on it and I think another reason why we stuck, we were able to stick the landing on this one, um, whereas the others uh, were more challenged, was because in every uh, attempt prior, um, the scope was always massive. Like we were like, okay, there were all these things we really wanted to do the first time. Like let's do all of them. Um, and so yeah. we would yeah, just get started, one, and and, right. and it would just be like, oh, terror, because we were trying to do like so much stuff. Um, whereas what we should have done was what we've done here, which is start with a basic game loop, make it playable. Oh, uh, now I remember why I, well, we made this game is because we wanted to play this game. Um, so now we're playing it. Okay, now we're finishing it. So I feel like much yeah. more of that was involved this go round than there was on previous. Yeah, this time I also had a better approach, probably more mature, you know, 25 years later. Um, I actually <laughs> pulled up the original source code and was converting the original logic directly. I wasn't doing any sort of like, backwards reverse engineering or whatever i was going at the original source and converting it from pascal to c sharp so so that kind of kept me on track so i wouldn't start going a little nuts and and even now i i keep reining myself back saying nope this is a classic rewrite i'm not going to change the original Uh, i did end up doing some cosmetic stuff um the planet generation was just so awful i i had to do something about that um no one would have played it if if you had seen the original planets. <laughs> not not but, with the Unity engine. But that does that does uh, that thread does lead into another <clears throat> interesting part of the conversation, which is um, when you would run into those things, we would make a note. It's like okay, well, if we if we create a new game, this is what we this is what we'll do. This will be another thing that we add uh, to it. So trying to look at it as a uh, a trying to 
come up with a list of iterations as opposed to, you know, completely starting from scratch. And there's definitely enough momentum where I think the plan now, uh, and correct me if I get this wrong, Rob, but there's another game that you're working on right now uh, that's kind of been in the hopper for a while that you uh, that you've kind of wanted. To, that was actually the game I think you wanted to do when you and I met. So you're yeah. basically finishing up something really very similar to, to that, um, which is essentially uh, uh, a sort of a new take on what's the name uh, the name of that game uh, Omega Tank or something. Omega. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, Omega. Yeah. Sure. That yeah. was the um, was that the origin game. Where, yep. where you could you program like, tanks. Yeah, you program tanks. Yeah, that's what I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a sort crazy of a space wars. Yeah, core wars kind of game, I guess. Yeah, I remember that game back in the day. I did not fare well with it because I'm not much of a programmer, and <laughs> I, I bounced yeah, I, off I, it pretty heavily. I'm actually, I to, yeah, I'm thinking about putting it on the back burner for a while though because. I, I don't think there's a very large market for a game like that. And, and it seems like there's a lot of momentum right now in Iron Seed. A lot of discussions on the, the message boards. And it seems like there's a lot of interest in, in doing a, a, a requel, the reboot sequel. Well, I'll, I'll be honest. Seeing your game do well on Steam gives me hope. Because I'm I'm, I don't know if you guys see the stream, but I stream a lot of Starfleet 2. Krellen Commander, and he's rewrite. He's working on that and planning to release it on Steam within the next year. And seeing your game do well gives me hope for that one. That's just a, another thing. Um, well, and so I, I feel like where ours, where I feel like th- with this new thing uh, would land would probably be somewhere between Starflight and Sunless Seas, mm, because yes. we really, we really didn't that. do enough. I uh, didn't do enough justice with the with the logs, and. Um, I've really kind of hit my stride with writing. Um, I haven't, I haven't run a D and D campaign in 30 years. And the guy down my street was after six or seven of us in this, on this, on this block, uh, trying to get us to play D and D for like a year and a half. And, uh, he's actually, you may have, <laughs> he's the, the late night rock DJ for WMMR. Um, Mark Marcus oh. and the darkest. Oh, yeah. He's God. like, guys, we got to play D and D. And I'm like, dude, we all have side hustles and kids. Like, what are wow. you talking about? This is ridiculous. Wow, that's um, a memory. That's a that's a yeah. And, and a so name he's he's not our, heard a long he's time. Our, yeah, he's our half orc. Um, <laughs> and so uh, so I've been writing for that because uh, he didn't he didn't hadn't lined up a, a hadn't lined up a DM for us, and I was like, you know, damn it, Mark, like you didn't. Oh, fine, all right, I'll I'll write for this one, but I'm not doing more than one. Um, and they enjoy themselves, and now I can't stop. So, um. I'm writing, I think I'm up to like 80,000 words now. There's like uh, 30, no, no, I'm sorry, no, uh, 28,000 words. It's like 80 or 90 pages um, of campaign material that we may end up mixing down to some kind of releasable module. But the point is, um, I've been so into that. I'm like, it would be amazing if we just like dumped uh, a Sunless Seas amount of like log entries into uh, a more playable, humane version of Iron Seed. I think. Like I would love to play that game, mm, um, and I think other yeah. people would too. Now, speaking of humane, um, I do want to talk about the UI for this game now, because uh, yes, it, it is. It's a fascinating thing that I've seen few other games do. Because, like with Starflight, you had your captain and you had your 
you know, engineer. And, you know, it was very, it was a very simple menu system, very like almost too simple. Here you have a rotating cube, which is amazing, but, but it's, it, it, where did that, I want to talk about the cube. Where did the concept <laughs> for the cube come from? Because, because the first time I saw the cube I was like, what is this? This is, and, I went at the same time. I went one. What is this? And two. This is so 1994, right here. <laughs> so I would like to know more about how you came about this cube because it's really it's honestly pretty great. I, once I started playing, I'm like, oh, this isn't so bad. But when I first saw, it, I was like, ah. So talk to me about the cube. Uh, do, you, do you want to take this one, Rob? No, go ahead. Yeah, All right. Is, is the cube gleamable in a? Christian Slater kind of way. Is it what? That was a '90s movie, Gleaming the Cube, with uh, Christian oh, oh, Slater. Oh, okay. I thought it was a pump I, up anyway, the volume. Re- I thought it was a pump up the volume reference, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah, that, that's. I was like, I was grasping in that direction. Um, so I, we we felt like there needed to be some kind of like anywhere we could, we were trying to throw in a little bit of 3Dness, um, because. Again, a lot of this was just like we would get to noodling around with something and we're like, yeah, just stick that in. You know, so it's like it's like a little kid who's never cooked before is like, I like cheeseburgers, put a cheeseburger in. I I like I like these. I like these shoes. I'm going to put these shoes in the pot. And the person that's sitting next to you is like, what are you doing? That's not how you make food. And you're like, I like it. Um, And so (laughs) the the cube kind of came out of that. We're just fooling around. And we're like, oh, you could because I was like, what? kind of 3d stuff can you do in here and he's like well we're not really you know we don't really have that ability now we don't have you know at the time there were no cars to do kind of dedicated cars to do that so anything you would attempt to even attempt to do like that would be slow and gross and so uh rob was like oh but what i could do is i can create a cube if i just use this scaling um the scaling algorithm where i essentially just strip lines out of it and then add the other lines in the other side I can fake it and make it look like it's rotating, even though it's I mean, we're not rotating anything. We're just like adding some stuff and subtracting some stuff. And I was like, "That's brilliant." Let's with see the what planets. it looks like. Yeah, exactly. And so when I saw when we first saw it rotate, we're like, "That's in." So it was definitely a case of like you know shoe stew of like let's put the things in. So the cube <laughs> was one of those things. Yeah, it's it's actually kind of funny. I don't really know how people feel about the cube nowadays because I'm seriously considering removing it in in the next one just because it is so clunky to use for people nowadays. I don't know. That's still up in the air. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like a tic-tac-toe grid of icons, right? And it's just animated yeah. spin. So I think the spinning part's kind of cool. I, I do love that. I kind of do so love that. I, I do. Here's my, here's my questions about some of the UI stuff. And I, I, I do appreciate the 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 retro aesthetic in the 90s like because it's clearly you guys were trying to keep a lot of that in there (laughs) my question though about this is it feels like half of the ui is in high definition and then the other half of it doesn't right um that's because we're using the original art at 320 by 200 um, I don't know if you've seen some of the new changes recently, but I did add some some options to do a, a higher res XBRZ filter on them, on the graphics. Oh. So it looks a little bit better. But mm-hmm. yeah, there's there's the newer Unity elements, and then there's the original elements um, wow. that are just scaled up. Yeah, wow. so so it's all original art from the original game. 
except for those three D elements, like the planets. We're, the planets we're sorry, it's an ugly baby. We're very sorry, it's an ugly baby. <laughs> yes, that explains yeah, a lot, actually. Um, well, I saw where there's an option you can go in and hit you check original graphics, and it'll like it turns the filter off, basically. Which honestly, I preferred. I don't, I don't mind a little pixelization, but the filter actually made things tougher to read for me. I want one of those for like. Uh, Facebook and Instagram. Can I just turn off people's filters? Can I just see reality <laughs> for like five I, you minutes? Know, you go on Instagram and you actually see reality. I don't think you'll go back a second time. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a horror yeah. show, like seeing your yeah. mom without her makeup. It's like, it's like filter-free for Tinder. Oh, God, no. <laughs> Kill it now. So, so, so getting so, back to the UI, it's it's, yeah. it's kind of interesting because... Again, this is a case where I don't really know what I'm doing, self-taught. So <laughs> I did it the way I could figure it out, right? And so um, the game actually uses a lot of UI panels um, for all the, the 2D flat images. They're not 3D planes or anything. They're all UI from Unity's point of view. Mm-hmm. And then there's layers of that with 3D elements. So it, it's kind of interesting with the way it's designed. Like there's a a camera that's that's viewing the 3D scene, but then there's a, a UI panel overlaid on top of that with the main screen, you know, around the 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 graphics. But then on top of that is a 3D cube, and then on top of that are these little virtual buttons that highlight when you hover over them, so that you're not actually clicking on a cube; you're clicking on invisible buttons above the cube. So it's all these different layers. Um, so it, it, you you probably do see some of that weirdness <laughs> from that from the conversion. Yeah, Something I mean, I, I, oh, go ahead. Uh, go, no, go ahead. I was gonna say, I mean, I like I like what you got going on, and I, I it, there was just one of those things where I'm just like, man, it feels like, uh, I don't know. It just was it was just interesting. I, I do like what you have going on though, but I'm glad to know that there, there's that filter because I haven't been into the options yet, and I'll have to check that out. Um, but I do like the fact that I can hover over stuff and see what like what it actually is. Because when I was doing the scanning stuff at first, I was like, I have no idea what these things are on the left until I hovered yeah, over them. And I was like, oh, right. oh, okay. I, I'm considering adding some tutorials and more tool tips and things to make it a little easier. That would probably be a, that would do. probably be a big help for a lot of people. Probably, yeah. But once I started getting into it, once I started figuring it out, trial by error, which is very '90s, also. <laughs> um, I uh, I was actually getting into it, so I, I do like yeah. the, I do like what this what's going on. In this yeah, game. the the oh, exploration awesome. stuff is really fantastic. Very again, very reminiscent of Starflight, you know, top of class type stuff. I uh, really love the that's, probing. That's yeah. where the Tretz came into play. But it was trying to figure this out. What am I doing? <laughs> what does that well, mean? That, that's actually but part like- of the design. The design <laughs> is sort of you figure it out. And and I know that that's, it's harsh. It's the harsh reality of the game. But but there's so much going on in those, se- that, those screens that mm-hmm. most users don't figure it out until they have that aha moment. You know, that like, what are these lights blinking? Wait a sec. Those lights are blinking in a certain pattern. What does that mean? For example, if you go what? to the crew status screen, the crew's the crew member's level is in binary for some of the little blinky lights. So there's lots of little bits of information if you look hard enough for it. Hmm, interesting. Those little sine waves mean something, but 
figuring out what they mean is part of the game. Now, I do want to talk about the crew stuff because that's another <laughs> almost game in and of itself. Now, the crew aren't actually, if I'm remembering reading the manual correctly, they're not actually like humans. They're like tubs of gelatinous goop that yeah, hold so, people's, so, people's personalities. Yeah, here's, here's how Biosynth works. So the, 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 the idea, the idea, the, the idea is that, um, uh, simply recording, basically, you know, scanning a, a brain and storing that, um, digitally, uh, produces a, a simulacrum, which is more like an automaton than a human, like, a you know, there's like intuition and things like that are lost in translation. Mm. So, um, so the people who came up with this technology were like, okay, we need we need an organic matrix in parallel with this other part, the 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 um, the synthetic part, um, in parallel with the synthetic part, in order to sort of uh, hydrate the uh, intuitive part of human consciousness. Um, and so, thus, thus was born biosynth. And so you have this like weird organic crap that can handle you know the ridiculous g's of accelerating to near light speed um and that was the other thing we haven't talked about that yet but i we, we should touch on that at some point about how everything happens at relativistic speeds as opposed like unlike every other game that existed at the time and still probably to this day uh what you have there's some kind of hyperspace conceit or something like that whereas when iron seed the idea was no there's no there's like you don't get to do that that's not a thing that exists <laughs> so to move between worlds, the only way to do it is to do it as a synthetic, um, you know, memory of a memory. Ah, uh, because it would make the human, it would squish the human bodies into into pudding, basically. Well, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't like the 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 number of years. Like, an, uh, the, oh, the, if you look right. at the readout of the number of years, a, uh, a whole game can take like fifty thousand years. So when you're interacting with species, you're interacting with like various representatives of the species. So only the longest lived, there's like five or six races that live long enough for you to interact consistently with. And all the other ones flit in and out. So they'll be like, Oh, I'm at this planet. They're level four. Great. Okay. We're going to interact with them. Like, you know, we would humans here on earth. They have all this great technology. Awesome. You leave and you come back and it's 500 years later and they're ash and they're all gone. And all that's left are like burned out. Oh, cities. wow. I didn't know that hap- that could happen. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so the planets. planets can all evolve on their own from different states. There's oh, there's wow. a lot of physics and, and chemistry mixed in this game. We tried to base it on reality as much as possible. Right, but uh, with the crew management stuff, there's a thing that they can go insane. And yes. <laughs> apparently you've... You've dialed that down for this version, which I am very grateful of because I have one crew member who's going insane and I can't make any, what are they called? Mind enhancers to stabilize them. So she just keep, she just keeps sending gobbledygook my way. And I'm like, Oh God, I, and I can't kill her, you know, cause, and she's my psychometrist or psychologist or whatever the hell. Oh, that's the worst. Yeah. She's she's basically supposed to fix these things. Yeah, and now she's gone. Yeah, she's she's like the ship's counselor. She's like if De- Deanna Troy was going crazy. Uh, 
So that's that's fun. But apparently for the original <laughs> apparently in the original insanity was um much more common in the yes, original. Yeah. Dear Lord. Yeah, it, the skill checks were were brutal. Um that that that's a whole game sub game in and of itself managing your your crew encoding decoding constantly yeah, adjusting them in the psychometry yeah again that's another factor that that needs to be reworked in, in any sort of sequel um that i i want i want more of those stats to have more meaning um and i wanted it to feel a little bit more like like the way sunless seas fear meters go up mm. something along that those lines yeah. it's more like a an encode integrity and as you do too much like to stress too much your integrity goes down and you need to to recharge oh, that okay that makes sense because i was like why is researching them making them go crazy but you're asking them to do a lot of work which lessens their integrity right, uh, right. okay that makes a lot more right. sense okay also thinking that uh, not because we not not because we're trying to copy Sunless Seas. I just as I was playing Sunless Seas, I just kept seeing all these parallels. Uh, oh God, yeah, Iron no, Seed. I believe it because I've only played Sunless Skies, but it's the same basic concept. You're f- yeah. flittering around this unknown wasteland, and your crew is going more and more loony because, like, we haven't been back to civilization in weeks. Right. Whereas in the case of Iron Seed, it's you're between stars. Like the idea of being in the vastness of space with nothing around you for years at a time. And yeah, your encodes. Uh, okay. Degrade. Just just you saying those words and me trying to have that concept for just a nanosecond just made me like. It's, it's terrifying. <laughs> it it kind of is. It, just, to, just to think about the nothing in between. Oh, OK. That's a nightmare. Right there. That's great. It's like extreme (laughs) sensory deprivation. Oh, yeah, that sounds. mm. Okay. anyway. uh, So, yeah, I've I've, the the coding and encoding. I didn't really pay much attention to until this one crew member started losing her marbles. And and I'm like, oh, okay, I I should stop them researching now so they don't all lose their marbles. But that's how you level them up and, and make them more effective is you have to do the research. Well, that makes sense now, now that I'm starting to realize that. Now that you're saying this, now I've realized why my one crew member was going mental. I was like, why are you losing your stuff? <laughs> like, I don't. And I think, no, I know. Dis- and I think you <laughs> discovered something I didn't notice. It like in the beginning of the game, he couldn't build anything in the constructor in the construction screen. Do you have to re- do you have you have your crew research stuff? In order for stuff to show up, start mining stuff or something. You have to level up. You have have to level your characters. So, so the the highest level shields and weapons, all their crew members have to be at level twenty. So, so this is what here's here's my here's my uh, here's my (laughs) my first run of playing this, which is (laughs) (laughs) the the breakdown is this: I had four planets. I started figuring out how all the scanning and all that stuff worked. I was like, cool, I'm getting into this. I'm digging it. I like what's going on. And then one of my probes like was destroyed. And I was like, well, that sucks. All right. Well, I guess I'm down to one probe until I can figure out how to like make more of these like probes. 
And so I, you know, I finish doing what I'm doing and I get to the last planet and then halfway through scanning the other probe dies. And I'm like, crap, well, I can't finish scanning this thing. I got to, I got to start figuring out how to, to, uh, make more probes. And, and then I, I was talking to Brian, I'm like, Brian, how do I make stuff? I can't figure out how to make stuff. And he's like, well, it's in the thing. And I was like, well, there's nothing in my list. And so I start having all of my guys start researching stuff and I just start flying around the system to all the planets just to kind of get the research bars to go up or whatever. And then uh, I realized I had to be mining stuff. Well, apparently I wasn't mining properly, so I didn't get enough. And then I was like, well, my, cause I'm learning this. And so I'm like, well, maybe I just need to go to another system. Maybe there's materials in another system. So I fly to another system. I can't mine anything cause I can't scan any of the planets. That's so what like, well, maybe. That's when you're in that. And I was like, yeah. well, maybe I, maybe I just need to go back and I can't go back because I'm out of fuel. So I'm just like this game. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. That sounds yep. about right. I, that, I'm, that, that I'm, I'm going to go back fascinated to, to see other players, how they play the game, because, you know, as a developer, you know, all the tricks, you know, everything you need to do. And to me, it's just like, click, click. Okay. I'm done. You know, it's like no big deal. But for other people who don't know those tricks, it might as well be a big black box, right? Well, and now we're back to talking about '90s games because that's right. That, that's '90s games. Oh, that's yeah. '90s games. Once, oh. I, once I realized, once I realized what was going on, I'm like, okay, all right, let's let's try this again. And so I'm I'm looking I'm looking forward to really continuing to dive into this because I really it, like what you it is. It, it is so fun to to do the exploring. Now I w- did want to ask you about the combat because that seems like a completely separate game that I have no idea what the rack i'm doing so please give me some give us some tips on how to deal with combat because i built the one time i tried to do combat effectively i built a shield so i had a shield but apparently it was using too much power so i couldn't shoot my weapons but i didn't know that until i was running away from everybody because i'm like i'm not i'm not hitting anybody i don't know what i'm doing i'm just gonna run away i'm just gonna run away and leave and the next thing i know yeah. I turn the shields all the way down. It's like, oh, that's where all that power was going. Uh, that makes more sense yeah. now. I, again, this is one of those things that you have to look at all the little details. Um, for example, if you watch the enemies as they come in, they start with pretty high shields. And they'll drop their shields um, on their own. And as they get close to you, they'll start raising their shields up if they get within a certain range. like. I think under 300 kilokilometers, they'll start raising their shields. If they raise their shields, they are really tough to get through if you don't have the right weapons. So you need to nail them from a distance, let them drop their shields and nail them, or get close enough that they raise their shields and they run out of power. So there's all these little strategies and Mm. tricks, but you do have to, it's one of these games where you have to click around. Just like the yeah. conversations, you have to just type in stuff and just guess until you you hit on something. So you, I, you can't uh, be afraid to click. So I have a thought about that and those those two different things because I feel like even though Iron Seed can be punishing, I feel like if you can get if you can get into it, there's uh it's it's like a if apples had bark on the outside, it's like <laughs> if you can get past. The, the 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 outer part of it like if you can get into it it's delicious 
with the exception of the conversations, I really feel like those could have been uh, handled much better. Because I don't feel like, whereas most of the other parts of the game, once you get into it, you're like, oh, cool. I did not, I still feel that way about uh, that we didn't really deliver on how those worked. I do appreciate how you just added a feature. I think it was a day or two ago where if you turn the difficulty down to easy, you now get a list of things that you can type out when you run into someone. Cause I had no idea I'm typing out whole sentences. Like, who are you? You know, wh- where am I? And like, nothing's happening, but apparently, Oh, it's a one word thing. Um, right. So now you've added a list that you can, uh, use to further conversation when you run into people because you run into other people, other other races quite often. You'll run into a planet that's covered in a big shield. It's like, oh, I should talk to them. What can I talk to them about? I have no idea. Uh, yeah, I have a thought on this. Yeah. So since you have multiple AIs that are on the ship and yet they are they're like human uh, cloned minds, right? So um what if they had conversations with each other and they and they had sort of like a voting amongst themselves like which was more like advice to you like well what should we be doing and you know like well the science officer says you know like this is what we ought to do or whatever and it, and it could be kind of like a tip system to the player um Although, depending on what the personalities that you select of the different AIs are, the conversations will turn out differently. And when one of them starts going crazy, they will be, uh, uh, instead of having like a sanity meter, whenever they have those conversations, you just start watching for whenever one of them starts getting weird. Yeah. You know? uh, or maybe they start giving you bad advice. Yeah, that's, they could give yes. you really bad advice. Yeah, it's like well, they're trying to kill us because, but subtly, not not. It's like among us, the Iron Seaver. <laughs> yeah, well, it, right. at that point, it right. becomes we like werewolves, about- right? Like, who's the traitor? <laughs> I still think we need yeah, to get I- a community game of that going for us. By the way, just throwing that out there. Just sounds <laughs> Well, it, yeah, Among Us is is the one to do it with too. Yeah, the, the crew conversations Sorry, conversations are, are, are a game in and of themselves. Um, just trying to think of different things. And again, it's one of those aha moments. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, I should ask my crew members about the icon. I just ran into the icon. Or I should talk to them about the Titarians. Or we just saw this Halifax maneuver. What is that? You know, and, and you start asking them questions. And there's actually a ton of story inside the crew member conversations. It's not just, you know, extra. I mean, there's, there's a lot of backstory in there. And, and that's why I added that new feature, because I'm afraid of too many new players missing all that story. Well, do yeah, they talk I among would, themselves would, or is it just like I, you can interrogate the AIs individually? It, they're individual. But we have okay. talked about, like, like, again, this wish list of what we might put into uh, a, a second game. Um, having them talk to themselves is, was definitely on that list somewhere. Yeah, like like in a perfect world, with, especially given the technology that's out there, like we definitely toyed with the idea of using a straight up chat bot and like training it on all the lore, and then just having it talk to you, or like oh, yeah. having them talk to each other in that way, but then slowly borking it. If you know, talking about them going insane, and then making it very clear like they become incredibly paranoid. Um, <laughs> but then basically, just, but but just using like chat bot software to do that. Like yeah. That would either be really cool 
or incredibly tedious and annoying. But or one of them, one of them wants to change its name to Showdown. That's a tipper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or if it asks you, would you like to play a game? Oh no! Yeah. Oh no! Because <laughs> yeah, I open didn't the really... pop bay doors now. That, that would be a bit of a doors. Because when you get when you're and you're having so much fun like exploring these planets, which I love doing. I love probing these planets. Um, I love pro- I love probing them deeply. <laughs> I love probing. Yeah. Them. Okay. Anyway, uh-huh. sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Uh-huh. That's a different podcast. Um, <laughs> really, Commander? No, I I did not really realize how much conversation was actually in this game until like that patch came out and I saw the screenshot of all the options. I'm like, Oh, there's even more. Go- there's a lot going on in this game. It's like, Oh, there is a lot. Yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot going on in this game and they don't make, it's like, it's kind of sad. They don't make games like this anymore. Uh, yeah. But you're talking about a sequel. You've mentioned, you guys have mentioned that several times. Um, during this show. So is that already in the planning process? Trying to do some UI design, trying to figure out how I want to do it. I think Jeremy's already thinking about story ideas and, and we've been throwing around some different options. Like, you know, what if we did this, you know, what, how, how can we change the game and make it better without losing the original retro feel? So, so we've been having a lot of discussions about that and, recently. And also, and also not, uh, you know, because there's some great templates uh, to borrow from, right? Um, and so we, we, we want to be sensitive about drawing inspiration from those things and not falling into the trap of essentially copying uh, somebody, somebody else's game. So it, it's all of these things uh, at once, but we're definitely throwing some energy in that direction. Having uh, folks like yourselves that are passionate about these particular types of games who w- could offer uh, feedback on uh, the game loop and other stuff as we're spinning something up would be immen- immeasurably Oh, this is uh, the place helpful. to be. This is the place um, to be for that sort of thing. <laughs> I swear to God. I mean, we, we talk about a lot of games, but it's the space games that, um, that bring us together, ultimately. And mm-hmm. uh, a shared love of spaceships and space games, and this this I mean when you talk about the the pinnacles of the genre, you talk about Star Control, you you talk about or Star Control, you talk about Starflight, and I've not played an, enough of this to know yet, but I could see this being like one of the hallmarks of the genre. Um, because it has pretty much everything that those other hallmarks have. It's got aliens, conversations, exploration, a story, combat, uh, lots of toys to play with. And I gotta say, I love how you don't have to go out and like buy all the toys. Like if you learn how to build them and you get the right stuff, you can make your own toys. Which uh, so, well, I mean, a, a, a quick comment about that. So since everything is built with three other things, the most <laughs> complex object in the game. Uh, the, the shield, the, the most powerful shield, is actually made of over 700 fundamental components. Dear Lord, and that's like yeah, and that's three when three, you have, three, three, and that's three, when three. you level, and that's when you level up your guy. That's when you level up your guys to level 20, so they know how to build that thing. Is that, yeah. Uh, yeah, the Mobius device is just insane. It's <laughs> made up of so many other sub weapons and just it's crazy 
Uh, but anyway, to see- back to what you were saying. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, you go. You go. No, I was just going to say that's uh, incredibly humbling to hear. Um, I really, uh, if I were capable of emotion, I would cry right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're, as you're from Pennsylvania, of, it's okay. <laughs> so, as, as captain of the ship, are you are you also one of the AIs? Yes. Or what? Except you don't get to go insane. Uh, yeah. Unless you already are, like Jeremy. I was about to say, like, isn't, isn't mutiny, though? Isn't that, like, isn't that like? Can the, there be the a mutiny? Plot, like plot twists? You are also an AI. Yeah, because <laughs> the mutiny would be them trying to hack you. Yeah, can there be a mutiny? Is that a possibility? Not, not per se. I mean, they can definitely refuse to do work, but oh, there's no actual mutiny. I mean, they'll basically fail their their skill checks, like stop repairing the ship and things like that. Oh God! So they'll stop scanning. Yeah. Even they'll stop like, they'll be like <laughs> yeah. no, I'm not scanning yeah, this planet. Nothing. Yeah, <laughs> oh, there, that that actually isn't implemented. That's that's something that's kind of interesting about this game. There's a lot to the game. Not to put too much as a spoiler on it, but it's it's not the way you think it is. You think that certain things and certain mechanics are working a certain way, and it's usually not. But we're, we were so good at creating the illusion of the complexity that most people see more than that's really there. Um, for example, we found that a lot of the early players would start getting log entries and they would sort of be making their own story based on what order of log entries they received. They would fill in the blanks as players. So there's a lot more of sort of an imagination here, you know, more showing rather than telling of the story and, and people sort of fill in the blanks on their own. It's just hints and suggestions. And then we kind of let people fill in, you know, that, that, that was intentional because we're like, we're just two dudes at Rob's place. Like, how can we make this seem much bigger <laughs> yeah. than it is? Well, it's a right. huge so, galaxy right. too. It's a huge game. What is the arc of the game? like the overall goal like are, are you because earth's wrecked you're these ais in a ship and you're gonna go do what like yeah, find so, a place yeah, for so, humanity or what yeah yeah in a nutshell um i feel like that's uh so uh the in a similar way that i feel like the conversations um we let folks down to an extent with the conversations because that could have been structured you know more humanely um in the same way i feel like the the intro it, it leaves a lot to be desired because it 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 I don't know I feel I feel like you can draw a lot of the wrong conclusions from what's actually happening. Um, so I feel like it's more confusing than helpful. Um, as I imagined it, um, and I, I still feel like the story falls short in terms of conveying what I had in my head. But in my head, um, you you interact relatively soon after the beginning. You end up interacting with these um, nascent nascent machine intelligences that are that left Earth with you, not in the same ship, but like from Earth during the diaspora. Um, you interact with them, and then they get the wrong, they draw the wrong conclusions from your interactions, and become a menace. And so then you have to like get all these species together to cooperate to to essentially eliminate them. So from the beginning, the idea is you want to find some some peaceful planet. Where you can put down stakes and re, you know, hydrate, so to speak, humanity from being purely machine intelligences back into 
human bodies um, with birthing factories and other things, basically becoming human again, like re like unextincting humanity. Um, but you can't do that because you're being harried by these machine intelligences at every turn. So whether you're being attacked by just random species or them, the scavengers specifically, the idea is you have to like get all these, get everybody to play nice together so they can eliminate this threat. So you can, you know, pitch a tent and have like a place to live. That is, that's a big deal. And it could take, it could take 50,000 years for that to all come together. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's damn. Yeah. I, I felt like, like the story was too complex again for most modern players who don't want to deal with the pain of the nineties. So there are a number of spoilers, story arc descriptions on the steam page. Um, if, if you get really stuck, uh, that would be the place to go to. That's good. Um, I just opened like with a mission state because it's like, I loaded up the game. I started a new game and I picked the, the crew and I couldn't figure out like, why would I pick one versus the other? I'm not real sure, but I, I picked some, and then I was sort of like, okay, I, I scanned the planet and then it was like, okay, I'm looking at the, at the, the various maps, but I don't see a way to actually like move to a different place. And I don't know what else to do with this planet. So I'm kind of stuck. And, and at that point I was kind of looking for like a nudge, like, Hey, you, you should be doing this because the goal is find this other planet. And this one ain't it. So, you know, right. oh, that's sort of what the, the second data buoy is for. Um, the nearest planet you run into has as a log entry with a bunch of other locations that are revealed. And then that kind of leads you on. Um, you have to go to the sector codex or the, the sector map to see where you are and where you're going. But there there's... The, the, one of the interesting things about the UI is that there's lots of different displays and they interact with each other. Like you can select the uh, travel direction and it shows you stars nearby and a line between the stars showing where you've come from and where you want to go. And you can also open the star logs. And as you select different things on one side, you know, it's changing on the other side. So, so the displays sort of connect together. And you're supposed to have multiple displays up when you're doing some of these operations. Like clicking on a star is just, it doesn't give you any information. You have to have um, the, the star logs up to see what is that star? What's it called? Where is it located? How far away is it? So there's both graphical information and textual information. It, yes, it's it's complex for the new users. <laughs> it, it's like it, if I had understood how to reveal that information, I don't I don't mind not having it spoon fed to me, and I yep. love a good mystery. And you know, if this if this turns out to be like some kind of like space mystery game thing, then cool, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just yeah. A, it's just like a statement at the beginning. You know, it, it's like okay, in your whatever mankind was destroyed, you're the ship with these AIs and your goal up until a minute ago was seek out this planet somewhere that you can reseed life on. But the current situation is you're in orbit here and, and something's busted and you got to fix it or whatever to get out of this particular place. And then, you know, sandbox the rest, right? Um, something like that. Cause it, cause it just didn't really give me a, a direction <clears throat> of like, I should be hunting for, information in the ui or or what and right. i wasn't 
point. It, it, right. Whatever I was clicking, it wasn't coughing up the info. Yeah, and, and like I said, had you left the system, you would have triggered a couple more logs, and, and that would have explained a lot more. So yeah, it's, but I definitely yeah, agree it, with you that it's 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 not it's not very clear, and that's you know if if there was if there was one thing I feel like we'd do better. Uh, in a sequel or a requel or whatever you want to call it, um, it would be like there's going to be a profusion of log entries. Yeah, yeah. So, Instead of fifty, there'd be you know five hundred. Five hundred of a thing. Yeah, yeah. All right, I got questions. <laughs> a little, little, little tutorial session here for old Hunter. So uh, let's say I'm uh, I'm orbiting a planet. Got this whole thing scanned down. I got like my little miner bot out there, and he's mined a whole bunch of stuff. How do I get that into my cargo hold? Bot screen. There's another tab called cache, the planetary uh-huh. cache, and uh-huh. you can just pull it out of the cache. So the the mine, the idea the remove is, button is that? Yeah, the remove button. You remove them out of the cache, and that puts it into your cargo hold. You're not the first <laughs> okay. one who's asked that question. But yeah, it's to <laughs> add and remove items from the planetary cache. Uh, the idea was back in the old days that you would drop mine bots as you were traveling around. And when you returned, you would collect all the things that they produced. In some time okay. to right. do it. Yep. Yeah, I it like takes that. a lot of time. You're not meant to sit there and wait for them to... Right. No, you're you're, that's to... not the original design. I, I changed that to make it easier for new players again. Mm. Another one of those those changes. But originally, it would take... Um, a full day of of time to even get one item in the cache, so so you would have to travel around. You you don't want to just sit there and wait for a day to go by. But even again, though a lot of this like, could be more easily revealed in in you know in log entries. Like it's again, we I feel like that's a not to keep not to keep like whacking myself with a fly swatter like bad toad, but um, yeah, we could have done better. Well, and the cache can be used in other ways too. Like if your cargo gets full, you can dump a few items off and come back later. That that was the general idea. Okay. More questions. <laughs> you really shouldn't if you dropped off the miners, but there's a percent chance that you come back in a hundred thousand years and find out that that miner has turned into a robotic civilization that. <laughs> Got abandoned. That's a cool idea. Is evolved. You want Skynet? This is how you get Skynet. (laughs) Uh, I am. I honestly am glad you've made it a little. You've made the uh, barrier to entry a little easier for new players because, like I said, we. I think we had more patience back in the '90s than we do today. And, yeah, things uh, were definitely different back then. I was just mm-hmm. about to mention that it's sort of um, back in my day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like like the crew descriptions. You know, in and of themselves, the crew they they it at the end of the day, it doesn't matter which crew members you pick. You pick whichever one you you feel like because you can always mind enhance them and fix them. And most of them are going to go insane anyway. So <laughs> so it's just a matter of preference. But it's the same concept that back in the old days with RPG games, you could type in a biography for your character. It had no impact on gameplay, but it was that immersive factor. And there's a ton of that kind of stuff that we tried to put into this game, where there's stuff in there that has nothing more than immersion details. We were crazy detail-oriented back then. 
Mm. Nowadays, I feel like new games, they strip all that stuff out. If it doesn't directly affect gameplay, if it doesn't directly affect story, they throw it's it away. It's not directly monetizable, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you can have backstory, but you have to download it, and it costs an extra five bucks per character. Yeah. So, so in, in, this day, in this day and age, your minor bots would bring up loot boxes uh, that you would have. <laughs> Yay! I can build a third probot now. Look at that. Yay! Oh, yeah. The, having, the funny uh, thing is, if you know what great. you're doing playing the game, the game is actually not that hard. The hard part is figuring out what you're supposed to do. Yeah, because I can go through and drop my mind bots and, and have you know decent weapons before I even leave the first planet because I know what I'm doing. But yeah, I get that it's really hard for new players. And, and like I said, that's part of the game. Figuring out how to play it is part of it. I think that's a quality that's lost in a lot of these new games. Most games you can drop in and say, oh, I kind of get this and start clicking around. But if you take someone who doesn't play, like your wife or some your your mother or something, and say, here, sit down and play this game, they're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. You know, and that's I, I would like to say in Rob's defense that he is not actually misogynistic. He chose poorly. No, I'm just <laughs> saying that someone who's not a gamer <laughs> that I, I need balance in my life. So I, I married a non-gamer intentionally. Um, I gotcha. I know where you're coming yeah. from. Yeah. <laughs> but no, a non-gamer well. would be like well. what is this? Even throwing something as simple as Mario in there, they're like, which direction am I supposed to go in? How do I jump? Yep. What do you mean hit this yep. button? You know, they don't know what to do. So it's it's interesting to see how games have evolved in the last 25 years or or not evolved in some cases maybe even de-evolved. Well, I th- I, I think <laughs> that's it's like the Mario Brothers movie, de-evolve. I think I think <laughs> one reason is that there are a lot more games now. So uh we have we we have less time to dedicate to one particular game. And so those games today, they have to get you right out of the gate. It's not I, like I can't spend tw- 10 hours learning this because there are 10 other games I could be playing in 10 hours. Yeah. Well, so I would I would say that you still that there are plenty of games where you still have to. There's still that learning curve, but they there's signposts all along the way. Mm, yeah, right. I agree. I agree. Um, so so it's there's like um, not to keep going back to that, but things like Sunless Sea, whether it's that or not. Um, there's all kinds of crap to learn, but you don't start out having to know it all. Um, right. And I think that's really the the, the, the difference here. That I, if, again, if I were to tweak anything going into the next one, it's just just yeah. have a lot to say, just kind of guide them along. It doesn't even have to be like, a tutorial, but it has right. to be it has to be approachable. The other thing on Sunless Sea, right, is like Sunless Sea is like a small piece of a much bigger thing because if you go on the web and and there's like Sunken London or whatever it's called, Fallen that, that's London. like their web. Yeah. Which is like their website story version, then it's like an entire universe in a website yeah. that's all these stories broke yeah, out I, I was, into like Yeah, I was trying to convince uh when we were casting about for a what what would we do next? Would we do an Iron Sea thing? Uh if you've got time, what would we do? And I I was trying to convince him to do that, to do something like that with Basically, to turn this campaign, this D&D, to circle back to that, this D&D campaign that I'm working on to, like, essentially chop it up to a bunch of choose-your-own-adventures and basically bolt it together uh, like that. Because if I'm writing it anyway, you know. Yeah. But um, <laughs> That sounds fun. Thinking uh, about how, how, how games have changed that way, um, 
you know, if you look at things like Warcraft, you've got these big giant quest symbols above people's heads and, and you know exactly who to run up to and click on. Whereas you play a game like EverQuest, you got to go talk to them and ask the right keywords to trigger the quest. And you have to know exactly what items ain't to nobody, hand them. Ain't nobody got time for that. Yeah. Ain't nobody. Yeah, it's, I, I need, it's different. <laughs> I it's very this, different. I need this guy to well, give me this fetch quest. And then I got to go fetch these five chickens. I got. To, that's what I got to do. But, but people don't even do. read the quest in Warcraft, though. They don't even yeah. bother. They're just like, well, go Warcraft. collect these things. I don't care why. Just go collect them. Warcraft started out like that. Yes. And then people like, this isn't dumb enough. Let's make UI mods where we put like a giant arrow on the screen that points at, you know, it's like, I don't even have to figure out where this is. So at that point it becomes just a, a going through the motions kind of thing. Right. Like yeah. I, I was talking the other day, you know, it was like my rant of the day. Cause I, I get one a day uh, was like old school MMOs where you actually had to have a party so you would socialize with people. And then it's like, yeah. I, I have chosen to be, I, I, I'm like the healer, right? But I can't be a healer unless I have other people to heal. And they can't be in the dungeon unless they got a healer. So we need each other. And, you know, but all that content is made for solo play now. So you kind of have lost that whole element. And it's yeah. also the the part about figuring out how to play the game. Um I feel like for every game that you play, you don't have to figure out anything because you go to the wiki and somebody will have written out for you. Like, so there's no mystery anymore because the, you know, and like YouTube has made that even weirder because it's like the game came out this morning and then in the afternoon I can go on YouTube and somebody has like, here's all the cutscenes from the game, <laughs> you know, just watch yeah. the game. Yeah, read, like game the movie or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's at that point, it's just like, okay, you can't have like a mystery unless you procedurally generate it or something. So it's different for every person based on what they do. Right. And, or or like what you were saying about, it's not necessarily that the content changes, but the order it's handed to you changes. And therefore you write a different head fiction for it. Right. Right. Um, my, my wife actually had a good observation the other day about this, these games that, that we're working on, which is we're intellectuals, Jeremy and I, and so we write intellectual games. I mean, that, that's, that's the truth of it. We write hard games because we want challenges. And um, I, I don't know how to explain that. It's probably a really bad way to explain it. But no, I, I totally get it. I totally get it. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't I mean, appeal to the mass market. It doesn't appeal to people that have no attention span. You know, it appeals to people who like to solve puzzles. And so if like you want self-abuse. <laughs> well, it, it, okay. Well, let's say next game, you you want to do a game that also has an, a, an abusive, weird, obtuse, gooey on it, right? Because the fun of the game is figuring out what the hell do all these buttons do and why would I click them, right? So... If if you start with the assumption that, hey, this is a human ship, so it should uh, come from human, you know, like the things, human thought patterns. So things would make sense because like if, if you look at like the universal icons that we use for a bathroom or whatever, right, you can kind of go to every country and figure out what something is, you know, if it's if it's hieroglyphic style. But you get on an alien ship, and you don't know what anything does. So. 
it maybe like stick the player on like guess what you just stole a, a klingon ship like good luck figuring out what all these buttons do bye you know? <laughs> what what is kapla <laughs> i actually well, had this idea of of creating the ui in, in sort of a, a multi-layer approach where most players don't need to go past the first layer. You know, they go into their cargo, they see that they're full. Okay, move on. But maybe you you have this player that wants to min-max that says, oh, 20% of my cargo is taken up by components. I need to fix that. Or, or maybe I can dump a few of these items. Or, oh, I've got too much of this and I need to trade it. But for your average player who, who doesn't care, they just want to go explore, none of that's really that important. My cargo is either, either full or not full. That's yeah, all they care about. You know when, what I mean? When you sent me that message earlier, uh, was that today or yesterday? When yeah, was, probably. This week. Yeah, I was, I was just thinking about um, how you and I had talked about before, how if we had our druthers. Like if money was no object and we could make whatever game we wanted to, um, uh, making each one of... Because we talked about how e- these different parts of the interface are kind of like mini games and then if we had time we really would have fully explored that so like you've got somebody who's playing iron seed and they just spend like hours in the cargo hold and they're not doing anything else they're just yeah. like rearranging stuff in the cargo hold well that's that's the way i was looking at it is like what if cargo inventory was a mini game you know like yeah. probe scan is a mini game what if you made every sort of operation some sort of mini game hmm. it could be a really fun thing to play cargo hold tetris you have you have these weird shaped boxes and you have to fit them. I'd play the hell out well, of that. Well, I, well, I, well, I was thinking more like so. It's a little bit that, but it's almost like Candy Crush because if like if you if you built things <laughs> with the stuff that was in there, then they would take up less space. Oh yeah, so so you craft things. You have to commit them though, like but you craft things to to compact them, pretty yeah. much. But then one yeah. thing, it's a thing. Yeah, no, that's cool. The other thought that I had is like if you did the Alien game. You know, where it's like, here's a weird interface on purpose. Uh, procedurally generate the icons or at very, <laughs> at, at minimum, just move them around. Like they're oh. not in the same order every game. So, like, imagine a roguelike, but the interface is, is, is like that. It's like every game <laughs> you play, the button all over the place. Yeah, you have time. to escape. You have to escape within five minutes and you have to learn the ship to be able to escape within five minutes. And if you don't, you die, you start again. Here's a new ship. Well, it's like that bomb well, game, but inside out. Well, so like, there is a, of like trying to defuse a bomb. You're like inside the bomb. Well, there is a game called Deep Six, which is basically that idea. Yeah, you, I've you're seen on that. a ship. Yeah, you're on a pod, basically a mining pod, and the interface changes the 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 necessary components you need to repair things or where they're placed within the ship, and the procedures change for all the repair facilities that you need to use. All of that oh. changes from game to game. So because, huh. because, yeah, because it's uh, randomized in that way or procedurally generated in that way, you can't always predict what's going to happen next. Yeah. I've been, uh, one thing I keep thinking about is, is what can I change that doesn't break the retro feel, that doesn't break the original? You know, what is that quality that makes it, appeal to certain kinds of people like some people like like you guys get really into a game like this why why do you do that when i've got like 10 percent of the users returning the game you know it's oh, like shit what? what what is that yeah yeah it's kind of crazy uh 10 of the steam users return it without playing 
without for me, play? Well, well they, they play less than two hours. They open the thing up and, and they they look at like the buttons and they're just like, oh God, what? Like the experience that I had, right? Where it's just like, <laughs> yeah, I have no idea what I'm or where I should go. And this game isn't really, it, it's not even pointing me in a direction at the beginning. I'm just around a planet and I got probes and I did that, but I don't know what else to do. And I can't find the button that lets me leave. Right. So at that point, oh shit, refund. Right. But if, you know, going back to like Sunless Sea, right? So that's a game where it's like, okay, it's a boat, WSAD to steer the thing. Um, and, and it just, it makes sense. Like I can control the thing. So the challenge in the game is knowing like the limits of what I can do and what I should be doing, you know, and, and then you discover like through dying multiple iterations, like, hey, the, this was a bad decision, right? Um, but on the on the surface level in the first 5 minutes the person can engage with it so their bewilderment happens after the first 5 minutes not before so i, I think that's the deal is, is I've you got a couple ideas them. to make it better i've you know little little tutorial dialogues um detailed tool tips versus regular tool tips and, and things that you good. can kind of configure so i can tips. definitely improve the the play a little bit but I again, this is just this is the classic remake, and and doing too much to it won't make it classic anymore. Um, well, I'm, some I'm of these ideas I want to yeah. take on to the sequel, and that's what I'm talking about. Is like in the sequel, if I had this to remake, right? And I didn't want to make it look like Sunless Sea, but I want to I want to preserve the story stuff because the story stuff, because you know you're saying, well, like we're game nerds, but like why do the intellectual people get stuck on a game like this but a lot of people eject out and it's like well i couldn't get to the intellectual engagement part or i would have been hooked right so so it's kind of like you have to get me to that quick right and right and i realize like oh hey there's there's this this is a game about like information conversations and puzzle solving and there is a little bit of bewilderment about the about the interface but the the first couple of things that i needed to do it kind of led me by the nose, right? It was like, okay, probe the planet, uh, you know, collect the resources, gas tanks full. Now we can go to the next star and you're off. And then that's the only help you get. Like you you figured out that loop and it right. could be the AIs on board just advises you like, Hey, uh, did you forget what we're doing here? You know, you right. probe and, and put an arrow, you know, make the button flash or, or something mm. to draw engine but yeah I mean, I mean it's like you could fix this one a little bit with that right maybe like a couple of uh, i don't know like an interaction with the player at the beginning from one of the ais that just says hey by the way you know th this is what you need to do here's the button for that beep beep and the button blinks and right get them get them out of the first system you know like here here's how you fuel the ship up and maybe there's like something that needs repaired and we get that from the planet, but you have to probe the planet and then we send the thing down and it'll just like by the nose, drag you through that. And then it turns you loose. As soon as you leave that first star, that was the tutorial system. And from there on it's school of hard knocks. Yeah. That, yeah. I definitely need to make more tweaks. Um, and that's why I finally said, you know what? I'm more interested in, 
players playing through the game and seeing the story and enjoying mm-hmm. it the way we meant it to be enjoyed rather than making it too hard. So so that's what I've talked about when I say, you know, I've kind of, I don't want to say dumbed it down, but I made it a lot more approachable. Which is um, good. Like adding well, the keyword drop list. Well, and for I, me... I, just just Sorry. realizing just realizing the word remove was mean to remove it to your cargo. I'm I'm like I'm cruising now. Like I'm mining all the things, <laughs> making all the stuff. I'm having a blast. And I wonder if yeah. 10 I wonder if 10% is like around average for returns. I wonder I I honestly don't know. It's something kind of new. I've I've never seen it before because I didn't get any returns on itch.io, but Steam is is kicking out a lot more than than I expected, so I don't, I don't know. Does Itchio have a return policy? They do through PayPal and and some uh, other things. He, one guy I actually did was try to talk about it, but he had had a lot of issues. He he actually ran into some really nasty bugs in the beginning, and, mm. and I had to do some pretty major overhauls to fix it. Mm. It's pretty stable at the moment. Um, not yeah. too many bug reports so i'm happy about that yeah i didn't have any problems i i have to, I, so I have to say it was for a port of a 26 year old game uh i have to say it's held up remarkably well <laughs> and and to answer the question i believe uh as to why so many people you know that that 10 had refunded it compared to say the people in our community to glom onto it and then just hang on it's because this particular niche as a, as a general rule likes unpeeling the onion so to speak that's a good point I, that's a good point yeah yeah that's a real good point. i have i do have a thought about what you could do as last like, thing jim bolt, this is the last thing because we have to wrap it up yeah. last thing bolt, okay on to the Right. In, instead of modifying the, the game that's here, but you just kind of bolt a layer on. So if there was like a ship's library computer that you could go into that that's sort of like a built in wiki for the game where mm. you, you know, and it's like maybe even like a text input box, like, you know, what do you want to search for? And I, and I could like type in fuel and it would take me to the page for that. Right. Uh, and yeah. Then like, where do I get fuel from? Idea. Oh, yeah. That's um, really cool, man. You gotta yeah. And then maybe it would add more, maybe we would add more entries as you continue to explore more that and they level, wouldn't be accessible until your, you've and level up your career. Yeah. Yeah. yeah until you've locks. actually accessed certain things, like, you wouldn't see the higher level. Jim, that's actually a really solid idea. I dig it. That's, that's, that's a good thing. To, that's a good, it's a good thing to end on. <laughs> Uh, my friends, we're going to wrap it up there. It's been an hour and a half. That's a good length. Um, gentlemen, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to uh, talk to us about uh, this classic space adventure. It's an adventure. It's an exploration combat adventure um, that has recently hit Steam. Uh, again, folks, if you're unaware, it's called Iron Seed. It's the 25th anniversary that edition that is on Steam right now. It is, if you have a hankering for classics like Starflight or Star Control 2, where you would fly around and explore and peel back uh, the curtain of the universe a little bit at a time, uh, this is the game for you. It is, it's got a lot going for it. Uh, Don't be intimidated when you first start playing it, uh, because you might bang your head against it for a little bit, but just 
just start hitting buttons. Just start hitting buttons. And again, there are a lot of great guides and and forum threads on the Steam forums. Like that's where I got a lot of tips when I started playing. So uh, yeah, definitely go to the Steam forums for guides and tips because this game is complex. Uh, and while it is not as not mean, it's not the right word. Um, it, it's it's nicer than the ninth original version uh, for players. So don't be intimidated to dive in. Um, but yeah, gentlemen, thank you so much for uh, talking to us today about this. Thanks game. for having us and uh, forcing us on video. Uh, these guys put themselves on Discord video and like, okay, fine. So a couple of us have been vi- on video. And it's been a very different experience doing this on video. <laughs> very different. Uh, so, folks, um, next week on the show, we're going to have an early morning show, uh, 6 a.m. Pacific, because we're welcoming back the guys from Interstellar Rift. I believe, I think they're in Germany. I think they're in Germany. I can't rightly remember off the top of my head right now. Ooh, but I, the one Tuesday, I can't be here in the morning. I'm sorry. Uh, but no, so that's going to be an early morning show, 6 a.m. Pacific, uh, because, yeah, they're overseas. Uh, but that game is great. That's like, I think, the closest thing we have found yet to Euro Truck Sim 2 in space, I think, is it's not quite that, but it's the closest thing we have found to it. Um, and then, um, yeah, tomorrow on the stream, I don't know what I'm going to be streaming, but Thursday, what are we playing Thursday for our co-op thing? Is it uh, Outward? Is that what we're playing? Uh, yeah, that's what we outward. have on the calendar. Outward. Yeah, out, outward. Uh, so that's what we'll be playing Thursday for our weekly LAN party. Uh, so as always, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Uh, special thank you to those who go support us via on Patreon and Twitch. You guys are the special best. I love you. And with that, we'll bid you a good night. Have a wonderful day tomorrow. Be safe. Take care of each other. And we'll see you next time. Good night, everyone.